this message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Um, and start our seminar. Welcome to our seminar on small groups. We're going to do it a little bit differently this year. As you heard Sean mention last night, uh, there are three modules for each seminar and each uh, delegate can choose to go to a different, um, different seminar for each module. For our particular module here, we're going to do a three-part series. So you're welcome to, to change in between, but it would make more co a complete package if you stay for the entire three Modules. The first one will be focusing on uh, the Holy Spirit, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit, why we need it. The second and third sections, we're going to look specifically at the Holy Spirit in small group ministry. So the second and, and third section specifically on small group ministry. The first one, looking at the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also through the eyes of effective small groups. My name is Daryl. I apologise in advance if you can't understand my um, accent. I'm from Australia. My sister is here with me. And we're privileged to be here this, uh, after this morning to be in uh, the United States to share with you some of the experiences that we've had. Uh, I work as a medical doctor in, uh, in Melbourne. My sister is a dental student and we're part of a church called Gateway Adventist Centre in Melbourne, Australia. And in this church we've been, had a privilege to be involved in small group ministry campus ministry as well, and we're going to share with you some of our experiences here uh, this morning. Before we start, I just invite you to bow your heads with me, and we will uh, make a start. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity to open your word, and as we open your word this morning to discover the gems that you have for us on the Holy Spirit, we pray that the Holy Spirit be in this place. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start off by showing you a couple of pictures. My sister, it's very rare, I, I think, in, for a brother and sister pair to, to deliver a seminar. And so I'm so glad to be here with my sister this uh, morning. My parent, this is my parents. Um, I'm, I'm so glad my sister and I were raised in the Adventist church. And I'm so proud uh, to, of, of my parents for raising my, my sister and I and give, giving us an opportunity to not only know God but also to share about him um, in Australia and overseas. There's a quote that I want to start with this morning. It says, The work of God can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work. If you have your workbooks there with you, you'll see that most of the slides are provided in the, uh, uh, in the workbook. There's some blanks that you can fill in as you go along. So you can, if you lose where we're at, feel free to look at your workbook. There will be, the slides on the screen will be in the workbook as well. The quote says, The work of God can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership, rally to the work. Now that, to me, this quote has immense significance. There are two components to this quote, a personal and a corporate component. There's a personal component, there's a corporate component. And in everything that the Holy Spirit does, there is something in our personal lives, but there is also something in our church lives. Do you agree? And so this next three modules, we're going to look at two aspects. We're going to look at the personal effect of the Holy Spirit and we're also going to look at the corporate effect of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at it through rose-tinted glasses with the focus on small group ministry. So looking at Holy Spirit in personal and corporate ways in small group ministry. 
The question I want to ask you as we start this morning is, are you working as an individual? The answer is yes, because as we go to churches, all of us go to churches as individuals. You may be from different backgrounds, different cultures, different countries, but we're all working as individuals, but at the same time, we are working as a group. And in order for the Holy Spirit to impact us when we, do, uh, when we are working for God, He needs to impact us as a person, but also as a church group. Now this is very evident when you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 will be our basis of our study this morning. And we're going to look a little, at a little bit more about how the disciples in their early years were impacted by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now I want to ask you the question again. When you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, what do you notice? There's a personal component and there's a what? Corporate component. The disciples themselves, what, what, they, were, they were changed, they came together, at first, they were individuals, but together in a big group, they were impacted by the Holy Spirit. And I think too often when we focus, when we work for God in our churches, we sometimes focus on either working as a corporate group or as an individual. But we don't go across both sides. And for the Holy Spirit to work effectively, especially in small group ministry, it is imperative that He impacts you as a person, but also the group as a whole. When the disciples were in the upper room, they were impacted as, uh, we will learn about shortly, but they were impacted as individuals first before they could be impacted as a whole and the effect, as you know, was profound. The key points here that come out through Acts chapter 42 to 47, I'm just going to spend a few minutes dwelling on them. The first key point, there are individuals there that are filled with the Holy Spirit. The second key point, the result is a growing, vibrant church that were added uh, that souls were added to daily, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The third one is, the third point, is that there was an involvement of everyone and there was an involvement of all individuals together with all things common. If you look at verse 44, it says, Now all who were believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. So they were impacted so much so that even though they had their individual characteristics, they were still common in goal, in mission, in purpose. If you look at verse 46, this gives us the basis of our study into small groups. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There are key segments here, there are key segments that caused the disciples in the early church to be extremely effective and powerful. Notice the key segments. 
there is continuing daily, they're meeting daily, they're breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food, they praised God, and there was prayer. These components, as we will study over the next uh, two days, will give us clues of how we can use and model the example of small group ministry today after the disciples. Is everyone following so far? The question I want to look at as we come into this study is were the disciples always like this? We know that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, we see the disciples change. They're, they're, they're united together, they're worshipping together, they're fellowshipping together, they're witnessing together, and the church was changed. But the question is, were the disciples always like that? I want to preface that answer by asking you guys a question. How many of you grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Okay, the vast majority. How many of you have um, been in the church for less than five years? Some of you? The vast majority of us have grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and sometimes when you grow up, myself, my sister and I grew up in the church as well, sometimes when you grow up in the church, your perspective is slightly skewed. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean. We're going to look at a case study of the disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, and we're going to compare Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 50 with Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and we're going to see what the difference between the disciples before and after was. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 50. Luke chapter 9, verse 46, the Bible says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greater. So this, the context here is that the disciples are gathering together and there's an argument amongst themselves about who was what? the greatest. The Bible continues and says, And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to him, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all will be great. So the disciples before and after, before what were they doing? What was their focus? They were more concerned about who would be Greatest. Were they concerned about reaching others? Yes. Were they concerned about uh, helping Jesus? Yes. But their concern, the preoccupation that they had in their mind, and they began arguing with themselves, was that who would be greatest? You notice a paradigm shift here. The disciples before Pentecost had their mission there, but their focus was off. But the disciples after Pentecost, the mission was there, but their focus was attuned the mission. You know, sometimes the Seventh-day Adventists, we know our mission, but our focus is off. We know our mission, but our focus is off. Like the disciples, they knew what they were there for. You can imagine them, 12 of them following after Jesus day in, day out, healing people, breaking bread, performing miracles, sharing about Jesus, sharing about the gospel, sharing everything to, to the people who are following. But even though they were right in the midst with Jesus, their focus was off. And perhaps in your life today, when you're in your church, when you're, you're serving God at home, we know our mission, but our focus is off. And when we're asking for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, hey, you know the mission, but when you're asking for me, what are, you, what are your eyes focused on? What are your eyes focused on? 
It's very interesting. Verse 49. We continue. Luke chapter 9, verse 49. The Bible says, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Verse 50. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So they take it one step further. So we have the disciples, and Ellen White uh, eloquently writes that the disciples were trailing behind Jesus, arguing amongst themselves, and they did not want Jesus to know what they were arguing about. And so as they're arguing amongst themselves, Jesus turns around and perceives what is in their heart and says, you guys are arguing about who is to be greatest. And he gives the example of the little child and says, whosoever can receive this little child will be greatest. But then John and James in Luke chapter 9 verse 49 proceed to ask Jesus this question. I find it extremely interesting. The Bible says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And so John and James take responsibility amongst themselves to come to Jesus and say to Jesus, Jesus, we are the twelve disciples. You have given us power to work in your name. But we've found someone else who is claiming to work in your name as well. Should we or should we not stop them? It's a very interesting question, isn't it? Sometimes when we work for Jesus, we are involved in our church ministry and you see someone else coming along and you say, hang on, did the church board elect you to, to run small groups? Or did you, did, who, who asked you to be the Sabbath school teacher? Do, do you get what I'm trying to say? And so John and James in their mind, they, they, they said, gee, I'm the elect. I'm one of the disciples. And I'm supposed to be the one that casts out demons in Jesus' name. But now we've found some other people here who are claiming to be part of Jesus. Notice Jesus' response. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And so here you notice the, the, the shift here, the focus of the disciples, they have a mission, but their perspective, their focus is off. And sometimes, as people who are working in the church, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a mission, but our focus is not there. I want to illustrate this by giving you an example. I'm just going to play two videos to you. Uh, these videos, uh, are, some of you may have seen before, but it, it proves the, it tries, helps to illustrate the point a little bit better. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? Okay. How many of you have seen this video before? Some of you? Okay, don't, you guys don't answer the question, please. <laughs> How many passes do you guys count? 13? Who, who got 13? 14? 15? 16? More than 16? 17? Okay. The, I think the correct answer is 15. Okay. How many of you noticed something else? How many of you notice a gorilla? Yeah? I'll continue to play the video and see what you see. 
The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? Did you guys miss the gorilla? Who missed the gorilla? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. I missed the gorilla the first two times I saw this video. This video is from research by Daniel Simons and Clark. Okay. You ready for the second one? There's one more. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times Stay the players inside. wearing white passed Try the ball. Try it The correct answer is 16 passes. You guys got 16? Yeah. Some of you got 16. How many got different answers? Eh? Okay. What else did you guys notice? <laughs> okay, you got 13 because you're looking for the monkey. Okay, you guys saw the gorilla? Everyone saw the gorilla? Who else noticed something different? Okay. So someone mentioned that the curtain changed color. Did you guys notice that? The curtain changed color. I'll play it again for you. They couldn't change color. Anyone notice something else? They were all women, okay. Very good. One of the black team members left the game. Do you guys, some, some of you notice that? Okay, let's play it again, okay. The monkey business illusion. You guys, you guys know what you're looking for now, so you can Count see. how many times the players wearing white passed the ball. So at the start, there's three players on each, on the white and the black, and they pass the ball. And the gorilla comes in, and everyone's looking for the gorilla this time. But look at the change in the curtain, and look at what happened to the, the black, there's only two members left. You guys picked it? Pretty amazing, eh? And so you see, sometimes when we are focused on, uh, we have something there, when we, we have a task, when we have a mission, we get lost to the things that happen in our periphery. And sometimes when we're focused like a disciple, so much so on what they're trying to do, they lost the big picture. They're looking so hard at counting the pastors that they miss the gorilla. And then when they know there's a gorilla there, they're looking for the gorilla so hard that they miss the curtain and miss the person leaving the game. And so perhaps it's wise for us to ask the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our lives to widen and to take away the things that we miss, or rather to take away our blinkers to, that cause us to miss things. Now turn, you, turn with me again to Luke chapter 22, verse 24. We're going to look at that last Bible verse there. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Same passage, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves again. You would, 
you would uh, think that the first time they argue amongst themselves after Jesus gives them some rebuke and some instruction that, they, that maybe they change their mind or they change their focus. But you look again at Luke chapter 22, verse 24, and it's very interesting. The Bible says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Verse 25, He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. When we ask for the Holy Spirit in small group ministry, there is no place for a divided focus. Especially in the setting of small groups. And you notice when you are in a small group situation that if you have divided focus, the group is divided. When you're in a large group, when you're sitting in the GYC plenary sessions, you can fall asleep and no one will notice because there's 6,000 people sitting in the audience. But if you're in a small group setting when you have five people and three people are on one side and want to do one thing and two people on another side and want to do something else, you know. Or if someone falls asleep in a group of five, everyone knows. And it's difficult because why? In a small group setting, you know each other very well. And that is why we need to ask for the Holy Spirit even more. So just to recap, first, the focus is shifted away from the ultimate goal. They have a similar mission, but they have an altered focus on that mission They know that they're trying to win souls for heaven, but instead they're focused on what? Who will be greatest in the earthly kingdom? Second, they they went and they they descended into uh, arguments, squabbling, bickering, uh, trying to jostle between themselves for for position. There was a sense of pride versus the humility of Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them and says, Look, you who are arguing amongst yourselves, he who is least will be greatest among you. So point number one, we know the disciples beforehand, before the change, which we're going to look at, before the change, their focus was shifted away. Point number two, the disciples needed a change of heart. Notice Jesus was very, very tactful about the way he answered the disciples. There was no saying, look, this is what you need to do to be greatest. This is what you, need. you need, first need to, yes, you need to, to accept the children, but there was no great change in instruction. Jesus did not stop them or ask them to change their methods. Because you guys are arguing amongst yourselves, the punishment that I'll give you will be to stop performing miracles. Jesus didn't say that. But Jesus addressed the need for change in your heart. And perhaps sitting here listening and, and thinking about it, the Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to change our hearts before we can, we can be effective in small group ministry. A change of pre- uh, heart, pre- or heart preparation, as, as the pen of inspiration puts it, the conversion experience is necessary. And I'm going to share with you some experiences this morning. The, Bible, uh, the, the pen of Ellen White says in uh, Desire of Ages 4.37, it was not enough for the disciples of Jesus to be instructed as to the nature of his kingdom. Jesus does not stop at explaining to his disciples that his kingdom is of a heavenly one. Because at the end of the day, they did not fully, even though they did not fully comprehend it, the root of the problem was that they needed a change of heart that would bring them into harmony with its principles. The mission was there. They knew the mission. But the issue was they needed a change of heart to pull themselves in line with the mission. 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we know our mission well. The Great Commission tells us to go and reach and preach and share and, and baptize people from all nations, kindreds, tongues and peoples. We know our mission. But we need to adjust our focus. We need to adjust our focus. We need a heart conversion experience to bring us into line with the principles of God's heavenly kingdom. What caused the change before to after? Acts of the Apostles. We've seen the disciples beforehand. We've seen the disciples after. We're going to look at the bridge that guides them and changes them from before to after. Acts of the Apostles 36 to 37. This is the commentary on the passage that we read. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Ellen White says, The disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise. They humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. Notice the individual, the personal, and the corporate. Each disciple came by themselves of their own free will, but yet they were confessed and repented in a big group. Notice the, notice the difference? So there's a personal component, there's a corporate component. The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Putting away all differences or desire for the supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. They drew nearer and nearer to God. The disciples came as individuals, but they came and they, they confessed, they repented, they prayed, and they functioned as a what? A unit, a group, a team. The key to successful small group ministry is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to personal, but also to corporate unity with Christ. That's the key. This is a continuation of the passage. These days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of the souls. These disciples had a mission, but now they had the focus. And they asked Jesus for the heart change that was necessary. And this morning, perhaps you're sitting here and you're asking yourself, the whole, what, what do I need? What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? To be filled by the Holy Spirit is to have the focus and to have the mission to reach souls. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have the heart conversion experience so that you know in your own life your focus is attuned to the mission of a group, of a church, of the worldwide church. Very interesting. And this, que- this slide is the reason why I ask you the question. When you grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist church, you often stick with the same group of people for an extended period of time. You guys know what I mean? You were w- with your same friends in primary Sabbath school class that you are when you go to academy, when you go to college. You were with the same group and same bunch right from when you're young to when you grow older and, and older still. And look at the disciples. There was no difference, there was no alteration in the group of disciples prior to Pentecost and after Pentecost. The disciples were still the disciples, apart from Judas. Does that make sense? There's the same group, but there's a different attitude. Same group, changed spirit. Same group, revitalized mission. Same group, renewed focus. The answer to successful small group ministry is not to change churches. It's not to change groups. It's to have a renewed it's to have a revitalized 
mission. It's to have a renewed focus. It's to have a different attitude. To all these things, you can function with the same group of people, but you need the Holy Spirit to change you. Does that make sense? Too often we, we, we get frustrated and say, man, these people, I can't work with them. Or these people, they don't listen to me. You can imagine the disciples going through the same thing. Who do you think you are, Peter? You want to be greater than me? Or who do you think you are? I've done more for Jesus than you have. The answer is not to argue in your group, but to ask the Holy Spirit to change your same group. I want to share with you some stories now. These are, all these stories are true stories, and I believe that these testimonies sometimes speak louder than anything that can be preached or shared in a workshop setting. The girl on the right is one of my church members, a good friend. Her name is Janelle. She grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Her, her fa- uh, father is a pastor, from what I understand. And she, she, came to, she joined our church about three, three to four years ago. Janelle is one of the small group leaders in, in my church, and uh, we call the small groups care groups, and we'll be sharing about those in modules two and three. Janelle is one of the um, care group leaders, but her experience is one that I want to share with you. You see, before Janelle came, she was already a Seventh-day Adventist. There was no change in attitude. Sorry, there was no change in, in group. She was already part of the church. But there was a difference before she came to, to our church to participate because she moved for work down to Melbourne where we are at. And she, there was a difference in attitude and spirit which caused her to be such an effective soul winner and small group ministry leader. You see, Janelle experienced a conversion and a, and a, a feeling of the Holy Spirit in her life that caused her to, to realize that her mission was such that she needed to change and adjust her focus to reach souls. In fact, Janelle um, was a small group, or is a small group leader for one of the toughest um, uh, small groups uh, in, in our church because there are lots of different cultures and, and backgrounds in that small group and she's done a fantastic job of mentoring and, and, and guiding the small group uh, uh, members and also those who are non-Adventists who come to the small group as well. This picture is, is dear to my heart because I've worked with uh, many of the, um, the, 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 four bo- the three boys here in the, in the picture and I'm going to give you a, share with you some personal experiences as well. The person in the, with the graduation hat on is one of uh, my church members, one of the church members who was studying in Melbourne who's now returned to Indonesia. His name is William. I worked with William for an extended period of time while he was uh, studying in, in Melbourne in, in Monash University where I'm at. And this is actually his graduation uh, picture last year. William was born in the Seventh-day Adventist home as well, came to Melbourne to study, but it, he would be termed as what you, you call a cultural Adventist. You know what a cultural Adventist is? We, and I, to be fair, my, I myself have gone through that experience where you, we go to church and you participate in all the activities in church, whether it's Sabbath school or potluck or, or church ministry, but you go through the motions. And your experience with God is one of formality and, and ritual more than a personal heart conversion. And William came from, from his home realizing that he needed something more. As God, as he allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to him, as he allowed God to work in his heart, William was a changed person. Where he used to struggle to get up in the morning to do his morning devotions, he got up faithfully every morning at 6 or 6.30 to do his morning devotions. And as he slowly allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life and to change him as a person, the same group that he was in, the same church group that he was in, could see the difference of William. 
The person on the left in the striped shirt, the white striped shirt, his name is Andy. Andy uh, was, is a student at Monash University from China and his experience is an amazing one. Someone surveyed him outside the, the library asking him to fill in a Christian survey, one of, one of our church members, and he came along to one of our small groups. William and I had the privilege of giving Andy Bible study for almost a year and a half. Andy has now returned to China. He's not baptized yet, but he's still searching for God in his own life. William realized along the way that as he was giving Bible study, as he was witnessing to Andy in the small group setting, you can only bring someone to a level if you're already there. Because William was having a... To, because, rephrase that. William realized that he could only encourage Andy to cling on to God at a level that he had already done. And so William realized the importance of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in his own life first, otherwise he could not reach Andy. The key to effective evangelistic small groups is that if the Holy Spirit is not in the life in our life, we cannot reach the world. You can only encourage someone in your small group to see the same experience that you've had or to, to experience that change that the Holy Spirit brings if you have experienced it yourself. And so the first thing is to ask the Holy Spirit to come in your life. My family moved from Singapore where I was born to Australia when I was nine years old. I remember going to church early on in my life. There were hazy memories when I was back in Singapore. My parents uh, were converted to the Adventist message through, actually through myself. When I say that, I, I, was, I attended an Adventist hospital when I was young and my parents were given Bible studies by the Adventist missionaries who were in Singapore. And so my family became Adventist through the health message. But as I grew up, you would term me as what you call a second generation Seventh-day Adventist. In other words, uh, you know, someone who was brought up in the church. And sometimes, when you grow up in the church, you get something called second generation syndrome. Second generation syndrome, I use the word syndrome because in the medical world, syndrome is a collection of symptoms or a collection of things that you see that make a broad terminology, that fit a broad terminology. And so second generation syndrome, maybe some of you have witnessed this before, maybe some of you are experiencing this today. You go to church because you have to. The potluck is more appealing than the sermon. You get frustrated when the pastor preaches at 12.31 because church was supposed to finish at 12.30. Or you don't want to go to prayer meeting because the small group in prayer meeting is so boring. Or you get frustrated because the birthday party you want to attend is at 7pm after sunset on Saturday night and all you can think about that afternoon is what you're going to wear. And you forget all about the AY program that's happening in church. Now, I'm not meaning to be critical here because this was the experience myself. And I can't share this with you if I had not gone through that experience. What I'm trying to say is that you can only bring someone to the level that you've, that you've been to. In other words, you can only share about the things that you've experienced. And my sister and I, are not the experts in small group ministry. We are by no means professors in small group ministry, but we can only share with you the experiences that ourselves and the people around us have. 
encouraged us to grow in Christ. And so along the way, I, I, I was uh, you know, going to church. I remember the time where I looked forward to the potluck every, every week rather than the, the service. And you know, you go to Sabbath school and in Sabbath school when you're young, you, you want to get those stickers because you can get a sticker for every memory verse that you do. And then at the 13th Sabbath when you recite all the memory verses, you get a special gift. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Good, I'm not speaking to you. <laughs> and and in, in your mind, and as I grew up, I knew the, the focus. I'm supposed to share the Bible with my friends. I, I want to encourage them to come to church. The mission is there, but the focus is there. The mission is there, but the focus. God placed miraculous people in my life to help me to experience that conversion experience. To help me to guide me to ask the Holy Spirit to give me that conversion experience. There are mentors in my church who I'm eternally grateful for, my parents as well, who help me to really seek God so that the God in the Bible is my own God and not the God of my parents. I've had the privilege of being involved in uh, my local church for a number of years in a range of whole, whole range of different areas. And in each one of them, I've seen that God has helped me to learn and to grow. I had the chance to be involved in two things recently which have really helped me to, uh, to experience that conversion. I, I was involved, as you can tell, in personal Bible study. You know, in our, in our small group ministry in, in Melbourne, all the, the members... Uh, we call them members, we have the terminology and we'll explain this a little bit later on, but we have the terminology members for those who are in the church and we call them seekers, those who are non-Adventists who come to our small groups. And so in our, in, in, within the circle of members, I've had the chance to work and, and, and work with people like William, but also had the chance to give Bible study to people who are seekers, those who are non-Adventists. And this experience really challenges you because when your, when your Bible students ask you questions in the small group or in personal Bible study, you have to think about your own experience to share with them. I've also had the chance with my sister as well to be involved in AYC, Adventist Youth for Christ, a similar movement uh, of young people in Australia. Sharissa Fong, you heard her this morning. She's also part of that movement and we're good friends and we... We are working together in Australia just as the, the, you guys are working here in America to be passionate and to share the gospel. You see, something like AYC or GYC, for me, yes, it's nice to have a big group to come together to share and to, to network and to, to line up together for, for breakfast or lunch. But the key thing is that at the end of the day, we are all inspired to go back to our local church to work. You see, you see the, the effect of being involved in something like this is that I was forced for myself to re-evaluate, re-evaluate what I'm doing in my local church. Because at the end of the day, that is what it comes down to. When you go home from this weekend, when you go home from this workshop, from this seminar, how are you going to apply what you learn? And so when I was involved in this, I went back and I thought to myself, what does it really mean to fulfill that mission? Am I like the disciples? Am I picking on things like the carpet colour at church or the, the, you know, the, the, the things that are not done correctly during the communion service or am I focused on asking the Holy Spirit to help me in my small group? The question today I want to leave you as we come to a close of this first part of this module is can we be like the disciples? We have a before and we have a after. 
Some of you may already be at the after stage and praise God for that. You may already be revitalized and say, this is not for me. Praise God for that. But the question I want to ask, and I ask myself this all the time, is that we are part of the same church. We have the same group. It's not like you're going to go home from GYC and change church. You're going to go back to the same group of people, but the question is, do you have the same message but renewed passion? The question is, can you go back with the same mission but recharge enthusiasm? Can you go back with the same values but revitalize outlook in your life? The key to successful small group ministry, the key to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life is the following. The disciples before and the disciples after were two totally different set of attitudes. Same group, different people. Same group, different people. The challenge for us is to go back to the same group but be different people. The Holy Spirit has done it before. The title of our module is Prepare My Heart, Our Earnest Plea. The Holy Spirit has done it before, but we know that the Holy Spirit can do it again. I'm going to share with you a couple of points as we finish up here. The Holy Spirit has done it before in the the disciples' experience, but here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come among you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Spirit is waiting to give you the power to be a witness. You can substitute Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria for whatever city you come from, whatever state you come from, whatever country you come from. The Holy Spirit has done it before. He can do it again. Evangelism, page 559, there needs to be a waking up among God's people that His work may be carried forth with power. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is no question that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As we spend time praying in this workshop, we're going to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even before we come to examine the tools of effective small group. The Spirit of God will be poured out upon the church just as soon as the vessels are prepared to receive it. TMK 333. Just think about that for a minute. The Spirit of God will be poured out upon the church just as soon as the vessels are prepared to receive it. If we ask, the Holy Spirit will do it. He has done it before, He can do it again. He has done it before, He can do it again. The Holy Spirit has changed lives before, He can change and transform your small group, your church, your own life again. This group here is a group which I want to share with you about. They're from a church down in Geelong. Geelong is about an hour's drive from Melbourne, where I'm from in Australia. This is a youth group who have experienced great... uh, revival in the last year and a half. I first met two members of this group, Tim and uh, Rebecca, in 2008 when we were sharing together at uh, a breakfast table at AYC. And over the years as they continued to to learn and to uh, ask God for uh, guidance and advice, the the youth group under the leadership of, of Tim as the youth leader came together and asked God to transform that church into something totally different. You see, they had some issues where people would come and go and come one Sabbath and visit another church another Sabbath. And so it's a lot of uh, difficulty to try and bring that youth group together. By asking for the Holy Spirit, they committed to prayer meetings week in, week out. Their youth group, the core membership, I think, I believe, of three to five people committed to, to praying together 
committed to challenging themselves to ask for the Holy Spirit. Just, just before I came to, to the United States, I, I had a chance to chat with Tim. He's now got four, or the church now has got four, three to four small groups, effectively, with 40 non-Adventists. Now, these are young people who ask for the Holy Spirit. And that's all they ask. Equipped with the right tools, the same group of young people were revived, revitalized, and now are reaching and turning the world upside down. The question is, he has done it before. He can do it again. But will he do it? The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church is looked forward to as in the future, but it is the privilege of the church to have it now. Seek for it, pray for it, believe for it. We must have it and heaven is waiting to bestow it. Seek for it, pray for it, believe for it. We must have it. Heaven is waiting to bestow it. The question I want to leave you this morning is, he has done it before. He will do it again. Will he do it? The ball is in our court. The Bible says that in John chapter 14, verse 26, that Jesus wants to send to us the comfort of the Holy Ghost who will bring to remembrance whatsoever, he has taught unto, uh, whatsoever Jesus has taught and shared. And the question is, do we want it? I just invite you to bow your heads as we finish this section and we'll have a short break before we continue. Father in heaven, we thank you for helping us to see this morning. The disciples were changed. We know the Holy Spirit has done it before. We know that the Holy Spirit can do it again. But the question we want to ask ourselves today is will the Holy Spirit do it again? Father, we pray as we sit in this place, help us to be revitalized. We are the same group of people, we are the same individuals, but Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will give us a hard experience that will change us from the inside out. Help us as we study the word more over the next couple of sessions to further experience and to be excited about what the Holy Spirit can do for us and also in small group ministry for us in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.